0: Hi, I'm Ryan. I'll be reading today's sermon passage from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word.
1: Thank you very much, Ryan, and uh, good morning again to everybody. Uh, If you weren't here earlier when I greeted you, I want to welcome you today to Greater Hope, where Ending our series today that we began back on Easter Sunday called Alive Again. And, and the main thing we're trying to get at in this series the whole time has been, how can the resurrection of Jesus change people like you and me? How can it change our lives today? And, and the way we did that is we went to uh, look at the very first believers of the, of the resurrection. We went back to the original source documents at the end of what's called the Gospel of Luke and this book called Acts where you get a, a really a blow-by-blow blow account of those first several weeks after the first Easter and how the believers had their lives changed in many different ways. We saw a lot of different things. First of all, you know, Jesus gave these new believers a new heart, a new heart to see him with and to see their, their purpose in life. He gave them a new mission. He poured out the Holy Spirit on them and gave them a new power to accomplish what God was calling them to do. And then last week, uh, Matt took us to, to show us how God gave us a new hope a new hope for the future. Well, this morning, we're going to end it by looking at how Jesus came to give us new community. Uh, Probably a better way to say it is, Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that we could be made into a new community, so that all the believers together could become a new community called the church. Now, right away, just, just by mentioning community and church, I realize we have a lot of problems in our day and time. Uh, you know, On the one hand, there's a lot of people, and maybe you're here today and this is where you are on church, uh, church really just isn't seen as that necessary. Uh, maybe it's good every now and then to come. Maybe it's good for the people who are into that kind of thing. Uh, but in general, there's this idea that Jesus had something good going, and then we killed it by making it into a church. <laughs> right? That's, that's, a, that's a normal idea. Uh, some people even go to the extreme of thinking that uh, as long as I'm, I'm knowing and following Jesus alone, everything's okay. But when I get into church, it messes it all up. It actually hinders my spiritual life because there's so much sin. There's so much hypocrisy and disappointment within the church. Well, I want to show you today, this story actually proves it to you based on the, the original source documents. The church was not a later development that, that we came up with in order to destroy Jesus' work. The church was actually one of the main features of Jesus' work itself. Do you see that? Right when Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first things he does as king is he takes those who have believed in his gospel, in in the message of his death and resurrection, and he begins to gather them together into a family. I want to prove to you today, I want to show you as best I can from these scriptures that you ought to want to be a part of the church. That actually a sign of spiritual life that the resurrection power of Jesus is working in you is that you become a part of God's community. So if you look at your worship folder, I just want to point out three things about this first church that we see developing here in Acts. Three things about it, which not only will help us understand more about what the church is, but I think these three things also are like three reasons why you should want to be a part. Three reasons why you should want to be here this morning, but also be fully integrated into the life of, of a church somewhere. Uh, and, and these are the three things. First of all, the church is gathered to Jesus. It's all about gathering around him. Secondly, we're going to see the church is generous with each other. There's this wonderful community of generosity that develops. And then thirdly, we're going to see this church is always growing by God's grace. So it's gathered, it's generous, and it's growing. Let's, let's think about these three together. First of all, uh, the church is a, a community gathered to Jesus This is a very vital point to make right out of the gate, because it gets to the real question of why church? Like, what's the point of believers gathering together into this organization called the church and coming together Sunday by Sunday and in other ways to share their lives together? And and the answer really comes in this passage because it shows you why they wanted to get together so often. It shows you that they all shared a common passion before they shared life with each other. In other words, the church was founded not because people were just excited about getting together in a room full of people. The church was started because a group of people was passionate about coming face-to-face with Jesus over and over again. And the church was actually the context where Jesus had promised, I'm going to show up again and again and meet you face-to-face and pour into your life. The church really is an exercise in addiction to Jesus, it's an exercise in a personal addiction to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you know this in other areas of your life. There are certain places that you go that you love them so much, you can't just go once, you've got to go back again and again. There are certain experiences you have, you can't just do it once, you want to do it over and over again. You want to relive that experience as often as you possibly can. I mean, we live in Florida. We've got two big places that people do that with. There are, there's a thing called an annual pass at Disney World. What's that all about? I can't just go one time. Now, for some of y'all, that that was like a nightmare to go to Disney multiple times a year, and I understand that. (laughs) But for many other people, it seems like a growing number of people, they want that experience relived so they get the annual pass. We also have the beach. I mean, you got to go back again and again to that place because it's so wonderful. It's so refreshing. It's so beautiful. Well, I want you to see, look at verses 41 and 42. People who began to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ got so addicted to coming face to face with Jesus and all of his power that they just had to get an annual pass. They just had to go back again and again and gather together with Jesus as a community. Look at verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message, that is Jesus' message, the gospel, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day and one sermon. That's, that's amazing just in itself, right? But notice in verse 42 what happened to those 3,120 people. Immediately, it says, they devoted themselves That word devoted is not just they had a bad habit they couldn't kick, right, of going to church. That word means they were passionate. They were carefully reordering their whole life and their whole schedule around these things. They devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four things in that list are not just random things they came up with to do. Actually, if you pay careful attention to the list, uh, in the original language, each one of them has the word the in front of it, the word the. In other words, these are official things that are being listed. They devoted themselves to the teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. And each one of them, if you pay attention to the New Testament, are things that Jesus said, I want you to do these things when I'm gone. I want you to not only do them, I want you to gather together and do them, because some of these things actually can't be done alone. They can't be done just at your house. I want you to gather, Jesus says, and do these things. And when you do, I promise I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my work. First of all, there was the apostles teaching. Now, what that means is the apostles, remember after the resurrection, had those 40 days of intense Bible study with Jesus, where he was saying, hey, the whole Old Testament's about me, and I've got some new things to tell you. I want you to put them in your heart. I want you to write them down. That became the New Testament later. And I want you to spread them all around the world. Do you notice those who believed in the gospel became addicted to the Bible? And there was something about when they gathered together around the Bible. When they read the Bible together. I mean, not only was it true back then that they didn't have copies like this of the Bible. I mean, everything was handwritten. And so often a a group of Christians, a church, would only have one copy of the Bible between us. And so they would come together in order to hear the Bible read. And then, just like today, somebody would come up and would begin to explain from the Scriptures what it was showing about Jesus. They were encountering the Jesus that they were addicted to again and again as they heard the teaching. It also says they were devoted to the fellowship, the fellowship. Well, today when we hear the word fellowship, we think of fried chicken and potato salad in the fellowship hall, right? (laughs) That's a common way that people who are at least who have been in a church background, that's the way they think about that word. That word's more strong than that. The fellowship is a word actually used outside the Bible at the time to refer to partners in business. In other words, what's being said here is that these early Christians got really devoted and really addicted and really stubborn about being in membership with each other in an official sense. When your partner's in business, right, what goes for you goes for me. When I succeed, you succeed. When you fail, I fail. When I fail, you fail. I mean, that is a really expensive, isn't it, and a, and a really official and formal relationship. I know some of you have been asking me, you know, why, why do we do church membership? Is that even in the Bible? Is that something that we've kind of invented in years since? Well, this isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about it, but it certainly is a place that does, It's Jesus' idea that we would put our names together on a list and that we would officially enroll ourselves as being responsible for one another like partners together in a business. These early Christians did that. It even says when they were converted or when they were saved, they were added to the number. Literally, their name got listed down. They became business partners with the apostles and with those other people who had believed in Jesus. Then it says they they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And the fact that it says the breaking of bread, rather than what it says later in verse 46, that they simply broke bread in their homes, most scholars believe the breaking of the bread means communion, Lord's Supper. They were devoted to doing what Jesus told them to do. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to take the bread. I want you to break it. I want you to drink the wine together because it reminds you of my death. I'm actually going to show up when you do that, and I'm going to work in your life. They were devoted to it. And finally, it says they were devoted to the prayers. Again, this is more than just they were devoted to private prayer in their closet at home with God, although that's a wonderful thing to be devoted to. It says they were devoted to the prayers, the prayers. The gathered, formal, uh, you know, meeting at a certain place in a certain time where all of God's people are going to get together and in concert talk to their Heavenly Father. What's being described here, y'all, is church. It's church. And the thing that made, as one writer says, that made these early Christians have a holy stubbornness to do these things over and over, is that every time they did them, what did they discover? Wow, Jesus is not here by sight, but man, is he still here. (laughs) Man, isn't isn't he at work in our life? Isn't he at work in our community? When we get together and hear the teaching, when we pray, when we get together to worship and, and do communion and see new people baptized, God is here doing work in our hearts. God is here sending us out to do new things into our community. That's why it says, look at verse 43. As they did these ordinary things, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Wonders and signs were being done in the church. In other words, we don't have time to chase down everything that that verse raises, but in other words, when they met together, Jesus showed up and did amazing things that no one could deny. In other words, what's going on? Jesus is simply keeping his promise He is simply keeping his promise. The church isn't a human invention. It's in his plan and in his design. If you still don't believe me, I want you to write down Matthew 18 somewhere and go read it later. Because in Matthew 18, you have Jesus himself talking and he actually talks about the church. He uses that word church. It's not an invention. It's Jesus himself saying, here's the way I want the church to go. In fact, I make two promises about the church, Jesus says in Matthew 18. Promise number one, where two or three are gathered, it just takes two or three, where two or three are gathered, there I'm going to be in the midst of them. Promise number one, when y'all get together and teach and pray and have the fellowship and have the breaking of the bread, I'm going to be there too. I promise it. Second promise, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You're like, what? What is Jesus talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, Well, There's a lot of different things we could say there too, but here's just one main thing to think about. Jesus is saying, when you gather together and I'm in your midst like I promise, I also promise that I'm going to do my work. There is a connection between, catch this, there is a connection between the throne room of Jesus Christ and all the rooms around the world this morning where Christians are gathering to meet with him. A deep connection. So that what is said here is more than just some human talking about thoughts that he's had through the week. What is prayed here is more than just, man, we really wish things would happen different. There is a direct arrow from this room right into the heart of the king of heaven. And God says, what you bind on earth, what you tie up, I'm going to tie up there. What you untie, I'm going to untie up there. I'm going to do powerful things through this community gathering. In other words, why did the people get so addicted to church? Because they were addicted to Jesus. That's where it has to start. Church can just become a ritual. It can just become a sort of a religious habit. And there's nothing wrong with habits, but what, what, what the original design of the church was so much more than a habit. It was an addiction of seeing and meeting with a person and having that glorious person get to work deeply in our hearts. That, that's exactly why, actually, When you're away from church for a while, maybe you've noticed this if you're a Christian, you're away from church, you really recognize it in your own heart? Can I say it this way? Maybe you'll agree with this, maybe you won't, but we can talk about it later. When you miss church, there's some way in which you're missing Jesus. Because he promised to be here and show up and work in a way he didn't promise to be there and show up just when you're alone in your room. I read this week a testimony by a young mom named Sarah, and maybe you'll relate to it. I know I did. Sarah was in this stage of life where she was having her first child, and she had been very devoted to the church, Uh, went every single week. But then when she had her child, just like everybody who has a child, she missed a while because she had all kinds of maternity things to deal with, and so she stayed home with baby, as is perfectly understandable. But then she had kind of fallen out of the habit of coming to church. And it was several months before she got back, and she wrote this blog Uh, that I read, this little article, and she says, I thought when I first started my maternity leave and I missed all those weeks of church that it would have no effect. I mean, I kind of thought, yeah, church is nice, but it's not necessary. But then she wrote, there were three things that I missed over those weeks of church that I really began to see the effect of those things in my own heart. She said, first, I missed uninterrupted time just to listen to God. I mean, she stayed home and she listened to the sermon on the podcast, right? She heard the, she had the Spotify worship going. It wasn't like she was totally skipping out on Jesus altogether. But in church, isn't it right? There's an uninterrupted time of being able to clear everything out, and right at the very center is just God. And just what God has to say. The second thing she said she missed was the value of worshiping with others, specifically singing with others. I mean, you can shout it from the top of your lungs in the shower in the morning, praise, you know, praising Jesus, and it's a wonderful thing. You can sing it along with Spotify, and it's a wonderful thing, but there's something about, isn't it, knowing, Man, there are other people who believe this stuff like I do. In fact, we're going to join our voices together, every song we sing, expressing before them and everybody else in the world who will listen, this is what we believe, this is how Jesus has changed our lives. She said, the third thing I missed was the sense that the church was a movement. Y'all, sometimes, especially in our society, when, when Jesus and Christianity can get so marginalized at times, when Christians can feel very easily like they're weirdos in a world that has just frankly moved on from Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to come around and know, no, yeah, we we might be weirdos, but for different reasons, (laughs) that actually we're not weirdos for following Jesus because the movement that started in Acts 2 continues today. Jesus is still meeting with his people. He's still using the word to pierce the heart. He's still opening up eyes to his glory. He's still bringing people to faith and caring for them after they're baptized. He's still meeting to cause people to turn from sins that have been deeply embedded into their lives for years. He's still making people bold who are naturally not very bold at all. And they're going out and they're showing the love of Jesus and sharing it with their neighbors. That's what God gets done at church. And so this morning, you might be here and and you might not like church at all. You might think it's not very necessary. I just challenge you to think about it. Is that in keeping with, with one of the first things that King Jesus does when he takes his throne? This is what we're reading about. This is one of the first things that Jesus does when he takes his throne. He assembles the community. And that community is driven by an obsession. The greatest interest of their life had become... I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus to be at work in me. I wonder how big of a priority is it for you? How addicted are you? Have you gotten the annual pass? Do you use the annual pass? <laughs> Do you rearrange your schedule to get here because man, Jesus is just worth it? That's the first thing. Secondly, I want you to see that the community was generous with each other, not just gathered to Jesus. In other words, Jesus didn't just create a school where you go to class to learn about God. That's not what the church is only. The church is a family. The church is supposed to be, anyway, a family. A family gathered together and knit together. That's the word that the the New Testament uses. The hearts of Christians, it says, are knit together. That the threads of our lives begin to intertwine. Why? Because we've had the same experience with Jesus. There's many other things that divide us. There's many ways in which we're different. And normally, probably, we wouldn't be in the same room together if it weren't for Jesus this morning. (laughs) We might not get along if it weren't for Jesus. But because of that common experience of Jesus, our hearts have been knit together in a very powerful way. Uh, Psychologists talk about this experience outside even of religion. They call it liminality. I don't know if you've ever heard of that concept. Liminality. You can look it up later. It's the idea that when people go through a common trauma or a common victory together, then you can ne- there's something that they share that they can never be separated again. Probably one of the great examples of that is, is the series Band of Brothers that came out several years ago. And all throughout that series, if you saw it, it's about World War II. And, and all through the interviews that they, they sprinkle all throughout the series of, of real World War II soldiers, they're talking about, man, when we went through that battle, when we faced that loss, when we shared that victory together, I began to love my, my, my brothers. I began to love my fellow soldiers in a way I didn't even think possible. I began to see them in a whole new light. That's liminality. Well, here we see that in, in Acts chapter chapter 2. I look at what it says there in verse uh, 44. They had had a common experience of being dead in their sins. And then now through the gospel, they were made alive with Jesus Christ. United to him to where his crucifixion became their crucifixion of their old self. And his resurrection had now become the resurrection of their new self. And if they shared that experience together, how was it that they were going to stay isolated from each other? How is that even possible? How would it be possible for them to hate one another? How would it be possible for them to hold grudges and not not get past the things that get on each other's nerves? No, look at what it says. Look at what happened. They were were knit together. All the believers, verse 44, were together. They lived their lives together, not just on Sunday mornings, but they had everything together in common, it says. In other words, when it says they were together, they were together in public and in private. It says, verse 46, take a look at that. Every day... (laughs) They continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was probably the official prayer meeting that they had. But then they went home together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Not only that, look at what it says back again there in verse 44. They had everything in common. Now, when I read that normally, when I first read they had everything in common, I think, well, that means they were all the same. They they all were like the same people. They had everything in common. That's not what it means. Actually, it means the opposite. They were also very different and diverse. They had so many things not in common. They had so many different kinds of gifts that God had given them, but they didn't consider what they had to be their own. They considered what God had given them and what he had worked into their life as being, not just for me and my family, but for the whole family of God's people. And they shared. They were generous. I mean, just look at what it says in verse 45. Their generosity was eye-popping. It was shocking to people who saw it. Because here's people who it says they sold property and they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need in the community. They were business partners, remember? When you hurt, I hurt, and, I, and I've got something that I can give. When I hurt, you hurt, and you've got something that you can give me. They began to do this regularly and routinely. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, it even goes so far as to say, uh, just in a, in a you know, couple of years' time, that it had progressed so far that there was not a needy person among them. There wasn't a needy person among them. I'm going to say that again. There was not a needy person among them. That's amazing to think about. They eradicated need. At least within their own group. Why? Because they were so radically generous with what they've been given. In other words, you see what Jesus is doing? He's knitting their hearts together so that they could become the kind of community that God designed from the very beginning for human beings to have. God says in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he made us community creatures. Here's the problem. When we sinned against God, not only were we cut off from him, but we were cut off from each other. Because instead of me looking at what I've been given as being a blessing given for me so I can share it with you and others, I start to see my blessings as mine and mine alone, and you're a threat to my blessings. Or maybe every now and then I can use you to get some more blessings. We become users. We become consumers of one another rather than servants of each other. And sadly, this is one of the reasons why so many of us have ended up at some point in our life being hurt even in church. Because even in church, remember what we said about Israel out of Egypt, it took four days to get them out of slavery in Egypt, but it took a long time to get the Egypt out of them. When the church gathers together, there is still, we have to all be warned about it, there is still a consumer mentality that Jesus has to remove from our hearts. Because we come into this place thinking, man, I'm a spectator who gets to just sort of write the review on Yelp about how this church is. I get to say it's up to my expectations or not. Or the church is like a personal spiritual health club where I get to just get my spiritual chill on while everybody else serves me. That's a consumer mentality. No, what this is saying is that is you are the church. You, we are the church. And so we come here not to find a consumer product, whether it's in our liking or not. We come here to be the product of God's work and grace in our lives. That's why all throughout the Bible, God re- reminds Israel, I want you to do what is right. To learn how to do that to each other. Learn how to seek justice. Learn how to defend the oppressed. There was even a law in the Old Testament that said farmers could not harvest every part of their crop. They had to leave the edges so that the poor, the fatherless, the immigrant, and other people who didn't have means could come by their crops and get what they needed out of their crops. God is a generous God. And he calls his people to be generous. Here's the real problem. And maybe you're already feeling that problem. You've tried to be unselfish. I've tried to be unselfish and failed miserably. Have you ever had that experience? Like going into church or any other place, family, and think, man, today I'm not going to lose my temper today abc 123 i'm going to be kind and love people right you start to tell yourself that but you get into that situation and somehow that old like demon of consumerism and selfishness rears its ugly head from somewhere deep in your gut and you don't know how to get rid of it well guess what the gospel of jesus christ tells you the answer these early christians began to be this doesn't mean they were perfect keep reading Acts and you'll find out they're not perfect. They, they started fighting amongst themselves and all kinds of other mess. Consumerism reared its head, but they were at least beginning, and we can too begin, to be this kind of generous self-giving rather than self-serving people if <clears throat> we follow the one who is the perfect neighbor. When you look throughout the Bible, <clears throat> God is always saying, do justice, love people, sh- share, give yourself away. And then you read about the lives of all the people who love God and follow God. And you say, nope, 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 that he didn't do it. He didn't do it. She didn't do it. He didn't do it. She didn't do it. They all failed until you begin to read the stories about Jesus Christ. And I encourage you this morning, you may be here and you're like, this conversation is a little bit past where you are. Maybe you're not really worried about whether you like church or not. You're worried about whether you like Jesus or not. I would encourage you, go read one of the gospel writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just begin to read about Jesus. I think one of the things that will emerge to you is, man, there has never been a more generous, self-giving individual in all the history of the world. Even when it hurt, even when it was inconvenient, when it broke his calendar and schedule... (laughs) When it was expensive i mean really expensive when he went to die on the cross nevertheless he was someone who relentlessly chose the good of the community over his own good and yet at the end of his life the one who was the only good citizen that's ever been the only good brother the only good neighbor was thrown out of the family we threw him out we killed him and yet the bible says that in the plan of god what we meant for evil Our selfish act of throwing out the Son of God, God meant to be the very way that he was getting thrown out so that we could be brought in. He was laying his life down so radically at the cross and through his resurrection so that those who had put their faith in Jesus turn from life my way and, and put my faith in Christ, I could become like married to him, knit my heart, knit to his heart, and therefore then beginning to be knit with the hearts of all those who believe in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the answer to the loneliness that plagues us. The loneliness, the, the sense that you're all alone in your life. Because Jesus served and gave himself away. He did it for us. We can be brought into the family and learn slowly but surely how to be people like he was. We read it in our call to worship. I love this statement about God. God puts the lonely into families. He puts the lonely into families. How did he do that? Through Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. That's how he puts the lonely into families. He gathers us just like we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2. I read this week a study. It was put out by Cigna, which is one of the health insurance companies. And they have a vested interest in health problems, of course, in, in America. And in this study, it was, it was amazing. They studied what are the top health hazards of America. And you know what number one was? Loneliness. I, can't, I couldn't believe it. Loneliness. Most Americans, apparently, feel lonely most days. Jesus has an answer to this because when you believe in him you get not only him you get a family that loves you that you can love you get people that you can you can trust and confide in so you don't have to feel like you're alone on an island with the things that you're struggling with there's a place for you here and you get a community that's filled with meaning meaning for your life meaning why you're here on this planet, what your purpose is. Meaning, even when you go through suffering, this this community, Jesus, can help you even understand those very confusing moments. I wonder this morning, how much do you desire the kind of community that's described here in Acts 2? It's a gift of Jesus Christ. Now, thirdly, I want you to see this is a community that's growing by grace. Growing by grace. Uh, Look there at the end, uh, verse 47 It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, notice, the Lord added to their number daily. It's God who saves people. We can't save anybody. I mean, we don't have any power within ourselves as a church to put anybody that's lonely into the family of God. But God can. And God chooses to work through his church. And so it had to be that what these early Christians were doing is they weren't just coming to church and getting spiritually fat and enjoying their own spiritual lives as if they were on a cruise ship with Jesus. No, instead, they were taking what they got on Sunday morning and they were bringing it out into their workplaces, their homes, their neighborhoods. They were sharing it in word and deed with the lonely and the outcast and the sinner and all the people in their neighborhoods who they knew needed it. In other words, instead of thinking they were on a cruise ship, they knew they were on a mercy ship that Jesus had built. <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but in the news this week, there's an organization called Mercy Ships. And, and they take these cruise ships. They look exactly still like cruise ships, but they convert the insides to be hospitals. And they, they, they float them around all over the world, drive them around, whatever you call that when you drive a boat, drive a cruise ship, they sail them, right, all around the world. And they take them to all these harbors of places that lack medical care. They advertise it. People come to the port from all around. And they get their surgeries and their medical care that they need. Doctors take months out of the year to go and and travel around this ship and serve people. Uh, They celebrated this week their 100,000th surgery. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's exactly it. It looks just like a cruise ship. Radically different mentality going on inside, right? It ain't a carnival boat. It's focused on where are we going to get to the people who are in need. Let's, let's dock there and let's do everything we can to use the resources God has given us to serve the people who are in need. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a mercy ship. God sends us to share our gifts, namely the gospel and the compassion that Jesus has shown us with our neighbors around us. Jesus said it simply, as the Father sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Did you hear what Jesus said? As the Father sent me into the world to serve, to give myself away, to be sacrificial, so I am sending you, my church, my family, out into the world. Our calling is to be faithful to that. To be willing to go out and share, to to find the people around us who need the resurrection life of Jesus and to go share it with them. And to pray and plead with God that he would make that work fruitful. You see, it's God who adds people to the church. That's his prerogative. Our joyful privilege is to go out and be a part of that by welcoming new people into the church as they hear the claims of the gospel and believe and embrace Jesus Christ. That's how it works. That's still going on today today. And, y'all, I want to tell you, it still needs to go on right here in Mulberry, too. I don't know if you know this, but um, Mulberry, 33860, that is the whole zip code of Mulberry, has 26,000 people in it. Uh, The the school zone area of Mulberry, which is Yule Road South, everybody who comes to Mulberry High School by zone, that's over 30,000 people. Did you know, according to the latest statistics, 7 out of 10 of those people in those areas do not regularly go to church anywhere? Seven out of ten. That means at least 18,000 people who live around us and work around us are not connected to a community like Acts chapter 2. That also means probably, maybe not in every case, but probably they don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ either. They're probably lonely, many of them. Some of them are successful and feel pretty good about life, but they're headed towards a really bad day of judgment that they need to become aware of, the work is cut out for us, y'all. And so as one writer says, it's time to read Acts 2, 42 to 47 again. Get down on our knees and ask, what isn't happening that should be happening? Because the gospel hasn't changed since that day. God's power hasn't diminished since that day. People still need rescuing here in Mulberry, just like they did in Jerusalem all those years ago. So the question is, what are we doing about it? I want, to, I want to leave you with that question. What's the one way, this morning, ask the Lord as we pray. What's the one way you can get engaged in that mission? For some of you, it might be start with become a Christian yourself. You haven't put your faith in Jesus yourself yet. But for others, it might be choosing community being generous with that thing or, or gift or whatever it is that you have not been generous with up to this point. Maybe it's joining into a community group and getting you know, to know more people. Maybe it's bringing friends and neighbors into church so they can hear the gospel or bringing the gospel to them if they're unwilling to come to church as of yet. Whatever it is, there's something everybody can do to contribute. The second thing I would say is everybody in here, no matter what you contribute, at least commit to praying that God would make our work fruitful. Because, y'all, over 18,000 people who need Jesus, who need His family, man, that's a big and daunting number, isn't it? We need the power of Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus said two things When you get together, I'm going to be there. And when you get together, I'm going to do my work. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today, for this gathering this morning which is a fruit of your idea a fruit of what you started all those years ago when you died on the cross and rose from the dead father i ask today that you would have mercy on us for the way we've just made a mess of church sometimes the way many other others have made a mess of church there are many i know in the room that are hurt because of church i've been hurt because of church please minister your healing Help us to know Jesus is worth it. And Father, I pray that we would go out from this place not thinking that our work is done. It's just beginning to, as we go out to our neighborhoods and begin to just share the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. With our friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates. Father, do these things and lift up Jesus Christ among us, we pray in your name. Amen.